Hi, it's Ariana. Hi, it's Greg. As a listener to Climate One, we know you care about how climate disruption is affecting all of us now and into the future. I'm guessing you already do several things in the spirit of climate action. Here's another one. Giving a donation to us to continue bringing you shows about the causes and solutions to the climate crisis. You can do that at climateone.org slash donate. We offer all our podcasts and radio shows for free, but it takes time, effort, and resources to produce new episodes every week. When you give, you help us pay for the talented staff, equipment, and materials we need to make the show. And you'll join a group of other dedicated funders and community supporters who keep Climate One on the air. If you're inspired by the guests and conversations we curate, please consider making a gift today at climateone.org slash donate. Thank you for your support, and thanks for listening. How will we power our future? Can we create a healthy and clean economy? Climate One at the Commonwealth Club is at the forefront of the global debate about energy, economy, and the environment. Bringing together the brightest and most provocative leaders of our time, Climate One is the place where big ideas get heard. With thoughtful and insightful discussions on policy, business, science, and culture, Climate One founder Greg Dalton gets to the heart of the matter. It's our future. It's time to come together. Proposition 23 on the state's ballot tomorrow would suspend AB 32 until unemployment falls to 5.5% for four consecutive quarters. Proponents say that pause would give the economy time to heal and would save citizens paying more for energy. Opponents say Prop 23 would hobble the creation of new green jobs and undermine California's leadership in the move away from fossil fuels. Tonight, we welcome two prominent voices on each side of the Prop 23 debate. Bob Epstein is founder of Environmental Entrepreneurs. Nancy Floyd is managing director of Nth Power and a co-founder of the Clean Economy Network. Tom Tanton is president of T-Squared and Associates. And Jack Stewart is president of California Manufacturers and Technology Association. Please welcome them to Climate One. Um, Let's begin with the, uh, the one-minute statements, and we agreed uh, to start with the, the yes side, and Tom, I believe you're first. Uh, why, should, uh, why is Prop 23 a good idea? Prop 23 is a good idea because it will hold down energy price increases that would result from implementing AB 32, the Global Warming Solutions Act. There's a lot of pain and very little gain. Even the Air Resources Board has acknowledged that implementing AB 32 will not change the climate. Uh, we've try to set about as a leader in the global warming arena. However, nobody else is following our parade. And when nobody else is following your parade, you must stop and wait for everybody else to catch up. Energy prices will increase anywhere from 30 to 60% by implementing AB 32. In addition, local schools and cities and counties will benefit directly from reduced energy costs as well as increased revenues if Proposition 23 passes. This is all consistent with our legislative analyst office as well as studies by the EPA, the federal EPA, and uh, EIA, the Energy Information Administration. Jack Stewart, why is Prop 23 a good idea? Well, Prop 23 is really a very narrow proposition, only to suspend AB, 20, AB 32 until such time as the economy approves. Uh, I think, and, when, and remember, it's a Global war, war, Warming Solutions Act. And I think when we passed this law in, in 2006, there was some great urgency, the fear that uh, by, uh, by 2020 the, uh, the, the water would be lapping up against this building uh, from, the, from, the, uh, from the bay. 
And in fact, I think what's happened is, is the rest of the world went into recession. The rest of the world has made the decision that there's no rush on this. If you look at back at the Copenhagen, Copenhagen conference last summer, last December, the decision was, is let's put off any action on global warming until sometime in the future. Uh, the United States Congress has made the decision, let's wait until the economy improves before we move on global warming. I think we all want to have a clean energy future. And I think we all foresee that coming somewhere in the near future. The question is, is do we rush it, do we push it before the technology is ready and, and affordable, or do we go forward now and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and push this on our economy that, and put every job in the state at some risk? Nancy Floyd, why do you oppose Prop 23? Well, California has taken an early lead in the emerging clean energy industry. Nine billion of venture capital has gone into clean tech companies in the state. That's five times more than any other state in the country. Half a billion clean energy jobs have already been created. And these are jobs that range from uh, engineers to installers, manufacturing to construction. And many of these jobs have been repurposed from declining industries. Last week, the governor attended the uh, opening of Bright Source's solar thermal project in the Mojave Desert. Uh, this venture capital-backed company has already created 800 new jobs, and that's going to grow. And then the governor also attended the opening of one of 200 new clean fueling stations. Happens to be an Nth Power-backed uh, company called Propel. That's going to create 450 jobs over two years. In fact, my firm alone, and we're small, has invested in almost $200 million in 35 companies in California, clean energy companies. These are modest numbers when taken individually, but when you multiply it across 12,000 clean energy companies, it adds up fast. Bob Epstein, why do you oppose Prop 23? Well, Greg, California's clean energy laws are fostering investment and job growth in clean energy, but they also benefit the entire California economy by creating competition in the energy sector. Right now, California is dependent on fossil fuels. Price shocks and supply disruptions wreak havoc with our state. Our clean energy laws are going to change that. According to David Rowland Host at UC Berkeley, electric bills per annual per capita in California are likely to be 20% lower with our current laws than if we suspend them. That's why we say Prop 23 is really the dirty energy proposition. Valero and Tesaro are the main backers. They want yes on 23 because they want to avoid competition. Current laws require pollution reductions at refineries, and they require reduction in greenhouse gas and fuels. Shell, BP, Chevron, Exxon all have programs underway. None of them say yes on 23. Prop 23 is not about creating jobs. It's about Valero and Tesoro trying to change the rules. I say, say no twice to Texas. Go, Giants. No on 23. <laughs> all right. Uh, Let's, uh, let's, let's establish a baseline and then get into some of these questions. Um, I'd like to ask all of you, do you accept the IPC science about climate change, that it's real, that it's human-caused, and that there is some urgency? Jack Stewart? I don't think there's any question that uh, there's more carbon in the atmosphere today. The question is, is how quickly does that impact the, the global climate? Uh, and I, there, are, there are stories, on, there are, there's research on both sides of that right now. In fact, more research coming out that it's going to be a slower process rather than a faster process. I believe what will happen. The question is how quickly and how quickly do we need to respond. Tom Tanton. I tend to agree with the IPCC, although in each of the last four reports, they've changed the analysis somewhat given new data. But I don't think that's really the question before us. As a CEO, there's doing the right thing, 
reducing carbon emissions and doing things right. Uh, right now, the way ARB is implementing AB 32, it's actually increasing carbon emissions by forcing manufacturing outside the state. So Nancy, we'll, we'll get to that. I want to okay. establish a scientific baseline, okay. then we'll get okay. to costs and jobs. And Nancy Floyd, do you accept the IPCC science as a baseline for uh, what's happening and how urgent it is? Absolutely, I do. Bob Epstein? Uh, I, I agree with the IPCC, but the thing you have to recognize is every report, they look at kind of best case and worst case, and they say it might be in the average. They revise the worst case every single time. It always ends up being worse than their expectations. So I don't think we have a lot of time left to, to debate it. We have to take action, and that's why I'm proud of what California has done. So let's, next one is jobs. There's a lot of debate about how many green-collar jobs, the growth. Uh, I think Nancy used uh, half a million. I've heard the governor half, used half, half a billion. billion. Half, half a billion. Dollars or jobs? Half a million, half a million, right, sorry. Yeah, 500,000 jobs. Right. Uh, there's a half a billion jobs in California. We're all doing pretty well. Yeah, right. or there'll be a lot of people here. So yeah. uh, 500,000 jobs, you know, is that a number you accept? Are there 500,000 jobs? Green Absolutely not. Uh, that 500,000 comes from a, a, a study that uh, the Schwarzenegger administration did uh, redefining what green jobs are. Uh, and that's, that's a very important piece of this, is what are green jobs? I think every other research, piece of research has shown somewhere between uh, 65 and 125,000 actual green jobs. What the Schwarzenegger administration did is they redefined it by saying, basically, if you are a clerk in a, in a supermarket, unpack a box, put, put the cans on the shelf, and throw the box in the recycling bin, you're part of the green economy. If, if it's organic goods coming if it's out or, of the, well, No, I'm talking about the box itself. The hardware if the box, box is recycled. If the box is recycled, then you're part of the green economy. Well... You know, I think that's stretching it pretty far. I think that our actual number of jobs are probably somewhere in the 125 to 150,000 range. So, Nancy? But, but let's, um, you know, whatever the number is, okay, let's just talk about what's happened in the last decade. Ten years ago, there was no venture capital investment in clean energy. There weren't 12,000 clean energy companies in the state of California. The solar industry was, a, you know, $500 million a year industry. Today it's $40 billion in ten years. Whatever the baseline is today, we know that it is going to increase dramatically. But it's still a small portion of the state's overall employment. And it, and it really has nothing to do with, with, with AB 32 or not. I mean, AB 32 is, is there, but you know, th there's been a green job explosion across this country. Uh, there's a report by the Pew, uh, Charity, Pew uh, Charities Trust, Trust Charities, uh, that uh, states that you look at this green job growth in the 50 states, and there are 28 states that are actually producing green jobs at a faster rate, percentage rate, than California. From perhaps a very low base. Well, it's, a, it's, a low base. It's, a, it's a low base. All these numbers. Is a very low I, base I agree. It's, it's a low base, but California's also, as, as Nancy said, receiving uh, $9 billion worth of, uh, of uh, venture capital, clean tech capital, and the question is, is where's the beef on all that? I mean, what's, what, what the, basically what's happening in California is we are a very important state for a very important region for doing innovation and research, and we create a lot of high-end jobs there. But once products are created, they very seldom get manufactured in California. In fact, the, the model is, is to innovate in California, go to China or India, do your manufacturing, and then market the product back to California. I think, I think we, what we need to do is make sure that once we produce products, that Californians are actually getting the middle-class jobs out of that research and having the jobs located and, and grow here in California. Bob Epstein? Well, I was just going to say, I realize, you know, your job is to promote manufacturing in California. I think that's great. But if you look at where the green jobs are, it's in the installation things. You know, BrightSource 
as Nancy mentioned, 800 construction jobs. There are 20 more projects just like that. It's construction jobs, and construction is the thing that's hurting the most in California. It's installation jobs with energy retrofits going in commercial buildings and the rest of that. That's where the real that's that's where the bulk of the bulk of the jobs are. I had an argument with one with one of the largest solar companies who put a plant in Arizona. I said, "Why don't you put it in California?" He said, "Look, that employs 80 people." Our projects are going to create 10,000 jobs in California in the installation. What do you want, the installation or the other? I said, I'm greedy. I want both. <laughs> but the driving force is going to be the construction, the installation, and the rest of that. And it's a huge opportunity. It's not one that we should toss away. And those are middle-class jobs. Those are the kind of people yeah. that you are, are concerned low, about. Low-skill, right? low middle-class jobs. But, it, but it's important to keep in mind those are also temporary jobs. Okay, we, we need to keep this... The homogenous right. term of jobs parsed a little bit into whether they are temporary jobs, you know, one-year construction jobs, or whether they're long-term career Perfect. paths. Yeah. The other thing we need to keep in mind is what uh, Frederick Bastiat referred to as the unseen man. The, the green tech industry is creating jobs, no question about it. Whether it's 125,000 or 500,000 is only part of the question. The question is, what is the overall economy doing? In the overall economy, because California has high prices for energy, high regulatory impacts, and everything else, we're losing faster than anywhere else. You can talk about Roland Holt's computer modeling or anybody else's computer modeling, but those are all theoretical. We have empirical evidence from Spain, from Italy, from Germany, and Denmark that have tried exactly the same things as we have currently underway, and they have lost more jobs for every green job created. If we've created 500,000 green jobs, why are our unemployed now numbering 2.5 million? Well, it's because our high energy prices and high regulatory costs. No. The reason why California is in the middle of this depression is because we had a credit. We had a lot of cheap credit done by Wall Street, a lot of overinvestment in housing, a lot of people lost in the housing market, a lot of people with construction jobs. None of that had anything to do with AB32. So you can take the current recession. And you can, you can blame a lot of people, but it's got absolutely nothing to do with, it, with AB32. Well, now, if, you're, if you're not going to credit the debit side of losses to AB32, don't, don't claim Name the one. credit side. Don't claim the, the jobs created at the same time. Either AB32 is an effect on anticipatory capital investment or it's not. Okay. So here, let's look at this. From 1995 to 2008... The average number of new business establishments net in California has been 58,500 new business establishments net per year since from 1995 to 2008. So we are growing the number of businesses. But how many have we lost net wealth? I can tell you exactly how many. We've averaged 1,500 have left the state, 1,000 new ones have come in, 177,000 new ones are created each year. That's, That's great, Bob. The companies that are leaving California are big companies. They're taking 1,000 to 10,000 jobs with them when they leave. How many new startups employing 5 or 20 does it take to make up the difference? We need to look at the total, not the number of, of businesses. I, I yeah, think- but, as I said, but as I said earlier in my opening remarks, I mean, you, have, you do have new companies that maybe today they're you know, employing 800 people or 400 people, but you, know, you add those up by the number of businesses that are being created in, in clean technology, that's a big number. Yes, it that's is. That's a big it is. number. And why wouldn't we want to, as a state, 
you know, we could talk about outsourcing, but outsourcing and outsourcing manufacturing, but that impacts every state in this country. Why wouldn't we in California want to be the the state that builds the next generation of energy solutions that, A, we can deploy in the state and that we can then export to other states and to other countries? I, I think we all could agree that we want to do that. The problem is, is at what cost? You know, and, 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 and how... We, we had the, uh, the cap-and-trade regulations released last uh, Friday by uh, the uh, California Air Resources Board. Uh, over 3,000 pages, over 3,000 pages that, have to, that will be enacted up by, by the 1st of December. Who's even going to be able to understand what those 3,000 pages say? I mean, we heard a lot of comments last summer about, or last spring, about the, the, the health care bill with 2,000 pages. Well, we, 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 we've even upped the ante on this one. And the question, and I think, I don't think anybody can logically come to the conclusion that 3,000 pages of regulations added on top of all the other regulations that go with AB 32 can possibly be good for the economy. It's going to cost those companies that are here a lot of money to do that. And the question is, is do we want to take, continue to take money from one sector of the economy, the jobs that are already here, take money from those employers through fees and higher electricity rates and taxes, and move it over to another sector of the economy to, that, that's going to create jobs? I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. If you take money from one, one sector of the economy and give it to the other sector of the economy, One's going to grow and one's going to shrink, and it's not very hard to figure out which one it's going to be. So let's talk about cost. Uh, I believe on the website for the Yes on 23 campaign, they cite $4,000 per family per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, other people say that uh, it actually will result in, in savings. So, so where is the difference? Where, how can there be such a wide variation in cost? I, I think the difference uh, goes to the heart of how computer models are used. And, and too frequently, both sides use computer models to justify their position. We're right, you're wrong, whatever. The, the appropriate use of those computer models should be as a design tool, not as a justification tool. And what we learn from the computer modeling is certain things are really, really important to the overall economic impact. If, for example, ARB is correct that people are going to save tons of money, they could, they could implement those uh, energy efficiency measures a lot cheaper than they're currently planning they could publish a catalog and give it to all the residences and all the businesses. Here's what you can do to save yourself money and also save energy. But no, they decided they're going to implement a mandatory heavy hammer regulatory approach. It could be done a lot cheaper by simply publishing a catalog. Well, the argument is that there needs to be a price on carbon. There needs to be that price signal. And the the market is a mechanism for putting a price on carbon, for internalizing the externality, and then the marketplace will determine the price of carbon. That's the many... uh, Wall Street and, and financial people support that model. They're, they're, yeah, they they're, love it because they're, they're going to make a lot of money off they of do, it. Yeah. Gonna, and, and, and the fact is, is that, that's, a, that's a good question. Does there need to be a price on carbon? I mean, there's, it, there's no question that a, an appropriate price on carbon is desirable. But in order to establish an appropriate price on carbon, one has to look at the avoided cost or the benefits of reduced carbon using a damage function. What are the damages if we don't, if we set it at 10 or versus $40 a ton. Well, that's a big missing aspect of the analysis in which ARB is undertaking. And the way that in which they're implementing the cap and trade, at least according to the Friday release, is going to force more products to be imported from outside the state. California is currently the third best carbon intensity state in the nation. 
And the United Meaning it's, it's least carbon least, per unit of GDP. Least, 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 per, per person. Per person. You, well, no, it's per capita is per, what I'm referring per capita, to. That's what I meant, per capita. In any event, by buying more stuff from outside of California, we're increasing our carbon emissions that we're responsible for. What I would rather do, and as suggested by Nancy, is have stuff made here. Yes, innovate, but also make it here so that we become the true leader and reduce carbon emissions. But right now it's being implemented bass-ackwards. Well, this illustrates the fallacy of the way Prop 23 is written, because it's written to say, look, it's kind of tough right now. Let's wait five to eight years till the economy recovers, and then let's suddenly get to 1990 levels in the last two years. You're describing sort of abandoning it, which is what 23 really is all about. It's about killing this off. That, that's what this really is. Now, I'm going to try to explain this in a way that doesn't require you to be an economist. Right now, if you go and you buy $3 gas, if you can find it somewhere, about $2 of that is the cost of the crude oil. And that usually comes from someplace other than California. So you take those $2 and you send them out of California out to someone else. If, by contrast, we made that fuel in California from renewable resources, let's say from ag waste, then that $2 would be used in the California economy. Those $2 would create the jobs to produce the fuel. So assuming it's made at the same price, and I'll come back to that in just a moment, you've put more money in the California economy. You've heard a scenario here that says, let's keep using fossil fuels on the theory that it'll keep prices low. That is just not true. Fossil fuels, we're competing with the Chinese, we're competing with the Indian culture, the whole third world is trying to rise itself out of, property, out of poverty and compete for fossil fuels. If we switch to a non-fossil fuel economy, we'll not only address climate change, we'll not only clean up the air, we'll have a much more diversified econ economy. And the reason why UC thinks prices will be lower is because they think fossil fuels are going to get more expensive and we need an alternative. We well, absolutely... Now, wait, a wait a minute. I think it, it, it's important to point out that David Roland Holt's study was done for Next 10, not for the UC, and it was not peer-reviewed by the UC. It was peer-reviewed by three different economists. Okay. Let me ask you there. It was peer-reviewed better than a lot of other studies done in Sacramento State. Mm -hmm. On the scalability of that, it sounds great to get all our fuel from waste, but a lot of people who even support renewables would say that... Uh, it can't scale fast enough to meet the voracious demand that we all have for our vehicles. So, okay, well, let me, let me address that. Right now, production capacity and refinery is 10% over capacity in the United States. The United States, for the first time in 40 years, is actually sending refined fuel outside. Why is demand drop? Part of it is the recession. Part of it is fuel economy standards found right here in California, manufactured in California, are starting to take effect. So that's, that's the benefit behind it. So first thing is, there's a way to achieve demand growth by avoiding it with efficiency. The second thing about how much can be done, California has enough biomass to safely do about 15% of our demand. The, uh, the goal is to try to get 10% of it by the end of this decade. Beyond that, you have to look beyond the United States. If we can ever cite an ethanol plant in California. I agree and, completely and, 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 that California is a tough place to do business, and there's a lot of things we need to fix. You yeah. and I talked about getting rid of the, the, the sales tax on manufacturing and the rest of that. We could fix the things that really matter, but AB32 right now is creating but, jobs and creating a better uh, future. We, we, and let's, I mean, just on this fuel thing, I mean, we, I talked about this company that's building 200 clean fueling stations um, in California, going to existing gasoline stations and uh, building, you know, leasing some of the real estate. It's going to dispense ethanol and biodiesel. First of all, this is a company that was based in Seattle, 
that moved to California because of AB 32. Okay, their ethanol right now is coming from the Midwest, but that's better than oil coming from the Middle East. Um, and they will be able to obviously dispense cellulosic and you know next generation renewable fuels as they are as they are produced. It you know it's private dollars building out the infrastructure to be able to deliver renewable fuels to fleets and drivers in this state. But AB 32 has nothing to do with the, the vehicle emissions. That was all ca- handled by a separate statute by Senator Pavley. That will happen whether AB 332 goes a, forward is, or not. It is a tool and a component of meeting the goals of AB 32. It's part of the reduction, and that will go on whether AB 32 no, is suspended no, 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 or not. Won't. This but, is part of the low-carbon yeah. fuel standard, which is authorized by AB 32, the same as the 33% RPS and the same as a whole host of other things. So to pretend that AB 32 had nothing to do with any of this, is, 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 it just isn't true. It, it ignores the facts. The other thing that's going to happen, the only jobs that will get created if, it, if Prop 23 passes, are legal. Because there's going to be a huge amount of litigation arguing over for each law, is that part of AB 32 or isn't it? And they're all intertwined at this point. And I suppose vice versa. Yeah, I, I, those I, are already happening. Bob, I think so we can agree that, that the lawyers are going to be the ones that benefit regardless of tomorrow's outcome. But I want to go back to a couple... I knew we'd com- agree on something. <laughs> I want to go back to a couple comments you made regarding the delay and that we'd have to achieve the reductions all in the last two years before 2020. The fact of the matter is the recession has already achieved 30% of the reductions that we had set out in uh, AB 32 in in 2006. We're already 30% of the way there. We have time to take our breath and let our economy recover. The other thing about about the low-carbon fuel standard, uh, you're absolutely correct. We don't want to be buying from the Middle East or from Venezuela, for that matter. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is most, and I think the number is near 70% of our crude oil that comes to California comes from Canada and Mexico. It does not come from Venezuela. It does not come from Saudi Arabia. And the, the problem with the low-carbon fuel standard, at least in the short term, is it's going to force California refiners to buy light, sweet crude, which comes from Venezuela and the Middle East, at least in the short term, whether that be five years or something else is that it's going to force more imports from volatile regions rather than less imports. I didn't discuss where it came from. I said it doesn't come from California. That $2, I love Mexico, I love Canada, oh, Canada. (laughs) However, that $2, I'd rather have be in California. That's my point. I I would much rather it be in California. If it's not going to be in California, I'd rather it be in Canada or Mexico than in Saudi Arabia. And Tom, can you see a day when biofuels, uh, Solazyme, or some of these biofuel companies are growing uh, algae-based fuels or other kinds of fuels Ab- in oh, California? Absolutely. absolutely. And, and uh, do you think that what should be done to encourage that or to accelerate that or to incent that rather than um, you know, clinging to fossil fuels? Well, I, I mean, I think what incents that is the market, and there's a market out there for it. People want clean fuels. And once we can get the cost of those fuels down to be competitive, then we, then we can implement them. But what close. policy signals need to be put in right. place to make them but, cost competitive? I just wanted to say, what Nancy talked about, is it uh, bright source energy out in the desert? Well, in, in order to build that plant out there, they get an automatic 30% tax credit on that plant. So if they spend $3 billion, they get a billion of that back from, from the government. And they, then their energy is still 30 to 70% more costly than traditional fossil fuel energy. So I, you know, it's, it's fine we go that way, 
But you have to remember, we're all going to pay for this. You know, with the government giving them tax incentives costs every ratepayer the money. We're paying for it one way or the other. And it's, it's kind of a, a cynical way to do this, is to take money out of your taxes or out of your, out of your electricity rates and then incentivize behind, behind for, 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 for new, ener- new energy sources or new alternative energy sources and then try to and then sell it back into the market. You're paying for it one way or the other, and you're going to be paying for well, very costly let's, energy. But let's, but let's, you know, and I don't want to digress into this, but, you know, if you level the playing field with incentives for fossil fuels and you go back to oil depletion allowance and other things that really aren't top of mind for people because they've been around for so long, if you leveled the playing field, I'd be willing to have this argument with you. But... Um, I want to go back to taking, you know, taking a, a breather, okay, and that we could take a breather because of the recession, you know, we're 30% of the way to AB 32. Well, the fact is there are states and countries that want to, that want the jobs and the investment capital that are going along with, that go along with this very fast-growing clean energy industry. And to give you an example, for the last decade, and this is a very diverse industry, with, with diverse jobs, not just, you know, high-paying, white-collar jobs. It has been growing at the pace of the Internet, the PC, and the wireless industry in its heyday for the last decade, and there is no end in sight. If we take a breather, investors and entrepreneurs want to locate where there is stable, predictable, favorable policy. They need to be able to invest in that. Okay. okay. But, but keep in mind uh, two things. One is those other states that are clamoring for those green jobs are, in fact, getting them for the middle class. The second thing, the Internet and the wireless and all that other stuff that you talked about were not forced on people. They were not mandated. They were not heavily subsidized. You want to level a playing field? Great. I, I, would, I would love a level playing field in terms of incentives. Green tech right now receives 30 times, 30 times, according to the Energy Information Administration, 30 times a per unit subsidy of fossil fuels. I would just soon get rid of them all, get rid of all the tax credits, get rid of all the incentives. <clears throat> but if we're going to have them, what we need to do is make sure that we only incent the early adopters. Don't incent the, whole, the, the continued use of old technology. So we may want to phase out the subsidies for nuclear power then. We could start there. Right? Sure. Yeah. But that, that also receives a much less subsidy per unit. Do you of think the Price Waterhouse Act is a low subsidy? I don't want to go there. Yeah, let's not go go to the tax credits. Right. Um, But just get back to the reduction levels. The 30% you described is already baked into the plan. The plan now is... No, it it, it was not. The plan now, as released on Friday, says starting in 2012, a 2% reduction each year until you get to 2020. You take those numbers, and instead you say, let's get started in 2018. It can't be done. Prop 23 is a goal of killing off AB 32. It isn't, let's take a breather. You have well, to admit that having, 5.5% having, having been involved is. in the drafting of the proposition's language, we considered just a, a, you know, a repeal of AB 32. We did not want to do that. We wanted to suspend it right, until we could afford it. Because you're hoping to get it passed. Would you acknowledge that 5.5% unemployment for four quarters is a rare occurrence in California? Uh, no, I would not. What? <clears throat> According to the EDD, it's occurred it's, three times in the last 15 years for 5.5% yeah, that's right, for three, a year. Yeah. So, all right, so, here, so you're trying to attract me as a vendor. Let's say I have a couple billion dollars and I'm deciding where to invest. And you say, well, just wait around because if California ever gets down to 5.5%, 
will quickly do something. You can invest for a while until it goes away. Until I'm in China. It doesn't go time. away. Once it reaches that level, then, it, then so it's I'm, back in So effect. I wait five to eight years. I don't have not, to, I'm not, not going to wait. I'm, a, I'm off to China. Well, the message California well, delivers right goes somewhere that's else. Where, that's exactly, that's where that's exactly the signal that we're sending the market today. No. They're coming. They're in California. Nancy's hired them. Nancy's hired, bless her heart, has hired a, a lot of them. Her industry. Her industry has. Well, do we but, but what about all of the companies that have failed and have moved out and have taken the jobs and have outsourced? That's what I'm concerned about is the unseen man. Nancy it, is great at what she does, and she's doing a fine job. But we need a 1,000 Nancys, not just in green tech. I'm a full-spectrum kind of guy. And I think it's important to, get, to understand that venture capital, clean tech, clean tech or, or, or high-tech capital, is, in fact, a financial instrument. It is not an economic development tool. It is designed to make money for the investors. And the question is, is, do we, is, that, is that what we want to do to make money for the investors, or do we want to create yeah. jobs in California? Well, it's all about creating. If you're going to make money for the investors, then it means you've created jobs. Someplace. Well, most of the venture capital, 45% of the venture capital for clean tech is coming here into the state. 60%. And, or 60, thank you, 60%. And there's the multiplier effect. It's not just venture capital. You're getting money from uh, venture capital firms from out of state. You're getting money uh, for project finance from banks that are out of state, never mind in state. You know, you're, there's a financing spectrum, you know, that goes far beyond just the venture capital piece that the successful companies are going to receive as they, you know, as they need to grow. A lot of, to admit, a lot of that money goes overseas. I mean, it comes into California. Headquarters might be here. The first factory's here, design and engineering. Yeah, but what about the product? But not necessarily. But what about that? What about what about projects? And there are plenty of companies that are building manufacturing here in California. But you know what? Outsourcing does happen. It happens. It, it, people are going to China. But wouldn't you rather have the headquarter companies? Here, wouldn't you want? Don't you want? You know, I mean, BrightSource is going to build yeah. how many projects here in California? Six well, that, or eight, yeah. So six or eight. If 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 the if the, if, creates, the, if the incentive money keeps on, they keep and they get thirty percent uh, incentive money back. But, if, if that but, doesn't happen, and I, I the New York Times reported with the BrightSource announcement this week or last week that you know unless the federal government comes back and renews that thirty percent incentive for for solar for solar production uh, solar farms then it's all going to dry up. We have a few of them on the books right now that are going to go forward, but most of them are going to stop. Those 20 that Bob talked about, but, most of those will stop unless the federal government is back in with well, 30% of your money, of your tax dollars. But remember, there is, when you build number one of something, you do need, you do need help because it's not quote-unquote bankable. The banks won't finance it. And, uh, but as you go into number two and number three, you have more sources of capital. The other thing is, is that with more venture capital, there's more innovation, Price comes down. I, mean, I don't think HP and, and Intel uh, had uh, big government subsidies when they started up their businesses. I think they, they, they developed a product, there was a market for it, and they sold it. Well, Jack, it, you're hammering on, on, on subsidies, but it is true that there's a lot of subsidies in oil and gas. Yes. Right? I mean, fossil fuels are heavily subsidized in this country, and we know that once those subsidies get in, it may happen in solar, it's going to be hard to take them away because they yeah, put, put, those industries get yeah, clout and they get used to it. Um, but the oil depletion allowance, was, you, know, you can write off, what, up to 100%? Uh, in the first year of, of doing new, uh, new, new drills, uh, wells in this country. So there are a lot of subsidies for fossil fuels in this well, country. You're, you're absolutely correct, Greg. Uh, we need to look at two things. Uh, one is the, the relative level of subsidy per unit of production. And as I mentioned, uh, wind and solar and ethanol 
received 30, 30 times, not 30% more, but 30 times the subsidy level per unit of production. The other thing is uh, the pancaking. Okay, incentive levels plus mandates plus favorite, favorite treatment uh, all stack up. And as it turns out, today, 60% of the wind turbines being installed in the United States are imported from China and India and Denmark. Yeah, and there's a reason for that. Partly because in the, in the, the reason, credits 20 years ago. Exactly. Right? The, the re- yeah, inconsistent, inconsistent policy. No, there, there's been We had the lead in wind in the early 80s. I was a developer in 1982. And I wrote and the policy. we lost that lead. We, lo- we, we lost won. the lead because our energy prices are too high. Our labor costs and labor uh, impacts are not conducive to, to manufacturing. What we're doing with AB32, the way it's being implemented is class warfare. We're creating poors and riches, and the middle class who are typically manufacturing employees are being left out. Yes, we want innovation in California, but if we don't have the associated jobs, we run into an 80-20 split. 80% of the people suffer, and 20% of the people benefit. But isn't a lot of the reason that the manufacturing is moving away is because of labor and housing and other factors that are not related to AB32? It, we cannot compete with the, what, what is the Chindia price. You're absolutely correct that there's a lot of factors involved. But right now, California's unemployment is, is a quarter, is 12.5% versus 9.5% nationally. All those other factors you talk about apply elsewhere in the nation. Why are we 25% worse? Because we, because we had a housing bubble here that didn't happen in Nebraska. That's the reason why, it, if you look at the states where it's a higher unemployment, it's they're hit larger by housing. How many houses in the Central Valley are sitting there vacant? How long is it going to be till they get filled in? That was well, that's the, the reason house, why. The housing I bubble we were here was to a talk result. About not, clean energy. I mean, that's, the housing that's bubble. To do with it. The housing oh, bubble was a result, not a cause of high unemployment. I'm Greg Dalton. We're discussing AB 32 and Proposition 23 at Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. Our guests are Jack Stewart, President of the California Manufacturers and Technology Association, Tom Tanton, President of T Squared and Associates, Nancy Floyd from Nth Power, and Bob Epstein from Environmental Entrepreneurs. I'd like to invite you to uh, line up in two lines. We have no on 23 over here, yes on 23 over there. Someone please get in that line over there. Um, and uh, we'll invite you to alternate and come up to uh, ask some audience questions. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, China. China, you know, I have a quote here from a Chinese official who's part of their National uh, Development Commission that said uh, earlier this year, I think a carbon tax is likely during the next five-year plan. If China puts a price on carbon and, and further drives incentives in, in clean energy, are we at risk of just buying all this technology from China and really seeding our leadership. I mean, China could really own this game by figuring out low-carbon fuels for the 21st century. Jack Stewart? China's already figured out how to beat this game with low, low production costs. And that, 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 that's the issue here. It's not, it's not the price of carbon in China. And their scale. Sure. And their, and their, and their scale. And, that, and that's what happens is when, when a new project or new, new technology comes up to scale, ready to go to scale, it, it goes off some other place. California, over the last decade, has lost a full third of our industrial workforce, 635,000 manufacturing jobs. And you know, what does that mean? I mean, for a lot of us, it doesn't mean a lot, I suppose. But the fact is, is during the, the, this last decade, we've created about 700,000 jobs. 
And up until the time the recession started in 2008, we also destroyed about 700,000 jobs. And the result of that was is a, 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 an economy that paid on average $20,000 less per job per worker than when we had the industrial, when we had, we had the industrial economy going full, stronger in California, not full force. That was back a long time ago. But the fact is, is the, the, the cost of doing manufacturing in California, driven much by energy costs. The energy costs in California right now are 53% higher than the average of the rest of the nation, 53%. So in order to do, 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 do production in California, you have to take on, you have to be 53% more efficient on your energy usage, which companies in California have been. But every time we up that ante and the cost of energy, and, and AB32 will just up that one more time. I mean, the, the estimates are 30 to 60% increase in, in energy costs for, for Californians. And the question is, is you know, how do we absorb that and how many more jobs does that eliminate for California well, workers? Greg, I, I really didn't think this was going to be a panel on, on manufacturing as the, as the root of all jobs in California. It's a relatively small percentage of the total, and it's, and it's true that it's shifting. But the overall economy is much, much broader than manu manufacturing. Mm -hmm. I was in a manufacturing job in a plant that's no longer here in California. That's what I did uh, in, in college. The California economy has moved to more of a service economy. There's a lot of changes behind that. But that has nothing to do with anything. What we're here is talking about is saying, how do, we, how do we protect our environment and how do we grow jobs at the same time? And we think the key to that is moving off of fossil fuels. And that's China's going to be the, the way... That's the entire thing that we're here to discuss is, is how to do that in a way that's sensible and working. And I'm saying that the, the things that are already in place are working. There's been zero... Significant new cost on AB32 so far to date. Uh, that, 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 yes, that, that are identifiable. There's a lot, lot of lost opportunity costs there as well. And there's a lot of if, opportunity if, costs if, created. If, if, right. if, if you look at you know, the, the, the creation of manufacturing facilities and, 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 and uh, expansions, California gets 1.3% of the national. We're 12% of the population. We're getting 1.3%. But, I'm yeah, just but, wanting to think bigger than manufacturing for this panel. Oh, I'm sorry, but that's, that's, that's I mean, my job. That's, 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 you know, I was invited here as a manufacturing yeah, yeah. Absolutely correct. But it's got to it, be bigger than that. Come on. It's more than manufacturing, but it's also the, the, the ability of the economy to create wealth and to distribute that wealth in a fair and equitable manner. Uh, all, in, in, in an entirely service-oriented economy does not create wealth. It redistributes wealth. So we need to create wealth largely through manufacturing and value-added propositions, like innovation, a, a major factor of it. But it's not, we, we can't have an economy focused on one thing. You're absolutely correct. We need to move away from fossil fuels. But there's a time and a place and a mechanism to do that, which is not harmful to the economy. And Proposition 23 gives us time to get it right. Let's go. There's also a cost uh, of the business as usual. There's a cost of doing nothing, which we haven't really talked about. Let's, let's get to uh, audience question. Yes, sir. So I have a couple questions for the gentleman well, who's talking about Pick one, please. Yeah. I'm sorry? One question, please. Okay. Yeah. Which one? Um, which of the manufacturing jobs are going to come back to California, then, if we do pass the proposition is Cal isn't California being priced? Isn't California and the U.S. being priced out of manufacturing jobs, regardless of what we do for energy? Certainly, certainly it is. I mean, but the fact is, is you know, jobs don't come back to California. The California, the magic of California was, is we've been the most innovative society probably in the history of the world. We've created new innovation, new products, and then we manufacture them here. And eventually, when they become commodities, they've always gone off to other places. The problem today is, 
is we're creating new innovation, but we're not manufacturing it here. We're not creating the wealth that goes with that. And if you don't have the wealth, you can't have a, a, a strong service sector either. Apple is manufacturing another... in California. Are you saying that we shouldn't have Apple? We wouldn't want Apple to be in this in this state? It's, because I, they don't I'm, I'm happy that Apple's here, but Apple doesn't manufacturing in California. No, there, there are other sectors right, of the economy. The there's other sectors of the economy that are important. The dairy industry, the food, food processors, which is the bounty of California. Uh, making cement. I mean, we've got a major issue with with, uh, with our water delivery system, which is going to require a lot of cement to fix. And right now, the cap-and-trade provision is going to increase the cost of cement, not concrete, but of cement, by 50%. What is that going to do to the expenditure for bonds and things to improve our water s- delivery system? It's going to wreak additional havoc. It, well, uh, 50% is, is a number we could argue with. I, I doubt that that's what the number is. So, I mean, so, but I don't know if it's worth, worth our time, you know, to debate that specific point or not. But I just, I just want to give an example here. Let's, let's look at, at energy bills in California compared to national. The average electricity bill in California, which is about $81 for residential, is 20%, 24% lower than the U.S. average, 45% lower than beat Texas. I believe it's 3-0 right at the moment. So if we, if, we look, if we look at this, California's been able to manage a cleaner energy portfolio by an investment in energy efficiency. So the net bill is what we're really talking about. It's true for manufacturing as well. I, I realize that there's a lot of challenge behind that, but, that, but the manufacturing efficiency is greater in California than it is elsewhere. We think the U.S., the California is a lot better off. The less energy we use per unit of output, the greater independence we have, the less fossil fuel involved in that, the more money stays right here in the economy. And we already That's do that. That's the equation. We already that do that. We, we, we agree with that. There's plenty more we can do. But California's bills for electricity are low because of our climate, our service-oriented uh, economy, and the fact that we've got three and four families living in single-family dwellings. It's not because of mandates and subsidies. It's because of fundamentally different things. If you want to claim credit for our climate, great. There are efficiency things that have happened here, refrigerators, televisions, et cetera. Absolutely. They're part of that. And you know the policy and that saved part of that. $54 billion over the life of that program, which created one and a half million jobs. Because having disposable income is a lot more valuable than spending money on fossil fuel. So it, it has created a huge benefit to California. We know how to do this. The idea that let's take a time off, we're really talking about killing it off. It, it doesn't affect energy efficiency standards. It doesn't affect DSM programs implemented by PG&E and others. What no, are, but DSM it seeds demand-side demand management programs, correct? Yes, but it does affect four really critical policies and seeds our leadership, which includes energy efficiency and green buildings, and it seeds our leadership in this whole clean energy economy. I, w- I would be very happy to seed our leadership in having the highest energy prices in the nation. That's a leadership position I would just soon get rid of. But we have some of the lowest energy bills in the nation. Right. That, that's right, but if you're because a manufacturer, you, you, the, the cost of manufacturing is very similar in, in Michigan or California. It's, it's, not, it's not the climate that reduces the cost. It's what you're doing in that process of building. And we, we, saw, we saw NUMI leave California. And then we, here saw, and then we, saw, and then we saw it come back. Right. We, we saw, yeah, we saw NUMI leave with 4,700 jobs, and now we have 
400 yeah, new Yeah, but they didn't leave because jobs. of energy prices. They, 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 they left, left they, that's a large part of what, was, what Numi's problem was the very high cost of energy and the uncertainty that was going to be created by these, the, the, new, the new regulations. Well, and bad management at GM, that was a big part. Yeah, of but that's, I mean, that's, question. next question, please. I'm Actually, wondering whether uh, the proponents of Prop 23 can tell us what percentage of the contributions for your campaign have come from oil interests and how much from out-of-state uh, interests. And then secondly, uh, the California Chamber of Commerce, which would, you would think would have the interests of the overall state and the employment picture fresh in their mind, how can you explain why they have been noticeably absent from your campaign? Well, it's, it's not my campaign. I don't speak for the campaign on yes. I speak for myself. But the majority of the funds have come from out-of-state uh, interest. But much of the support has come from in-state interest. The firefighters' union, cities and counties, board of supervisors, school districts, local chambers of commerce. Uh, one of the things about the, the state chamber is uh, it's a large organization with a lot of members, a lot of different perspectives. They took a no position on the, on the proposition because they've got a large number of members. Well, they didn't well, stop them from having been no on AB 32 initially. They did everything they could to try to defeat it in the legislature. So why well, they change of heart? Right. And I guess I'd say that, you know, this, this the uh, Proposition 23 and the no on Proposition 23 is, should be a lesson to, hopefully, to Washington, D.C. I mean, it has brought together, it's been bipartisan. The Opposition to 23 has been bipartisan. It has brought together a single coalition of the business community, the broad business community, uh, the clean tech community, traditional environmental community. And so, um, you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, that speaks for itself, that the well, broad support uh, uh, in op- broad opposition to Prop 23. Well, there's, there's broad support for it, too. Yeah, and, and, and well, hold on. I mean, the support, though, the, the funders are primarily oil and energy companies. Is that yeah, fair to say? Not yeah. in state, not in state oil companies. There are companies yeah. that have refineries um, in California. True. The, the, yeah, the big consolidate, the integrated majors are absent, but there's lots right. of. If you look at the top funders, it's oil, energy, oil, oil, oil. Right. Whereas on the opposite side, there's Bill Gates, mo- uh, a lot mo- of VCs, mostly clean tech, venture capital investors. That's not no. Most you have utilities. You've got. Um, tr- Gordon Moore, who's a founder of a company that's a member of your, your organization. The World Wildlife yeah. Association with $3 million. It's very broad-based by comparison. Our support list is 1,000 organizations. It takes 21 pages. I'm not going to read it right now. It's incredibly broad-based. What you have done by bringing 23 to the table is you've united a community that really needed to be united. <laughs> Thank you. Um, one thing that businesses always say is that they want certainty. They want to know what the rules are going to be. And I talked to an oil person who begrudgingly admitted that AB 32, they, they don't like it, but it gives them some certainty. Those 3,000-page uh, documents, uh, notwithstanding, I'm sure there's, there's some specificity there and there's probably some ambiguity. Uh, and this oil person said that actually with, if Prop 23 passes, there'll be less certain uncertainty because no one's going to know when the unemployment level is going to hit 5.5%. Is that a fair argument? That, that uh, yeah, I understand the argument, but I would also argue that uh, you know, AB 32 is, is the mother load of uncertainty. I mean, it's not a gift that gives between now, a gift of uncertainty that gives between now and 2020. It's a gift that gives for the next 30 or 40 years. Be- It'll be constantly changing regulations, constantly changing mandates, 
in order to make make the the, the mandate make, make the AB 32 well, goals that are established yeah. in the law. So it's not known, it, it, and it, price will fluctuate, and that, it, that's so it, so it, it's not. We, this doesn't settle, you know, no, where we're going that. to be for the future. The regulations this is just a, this is just lay a, out a ten-year plan. They tell you for an oil in the company, they tell you every place you need to be every year for ten years. That's pretty good. It's true they don't know what happens in 2021, but in 2015, in 2015 they'll find out. They spent four years with thousands of meetings. I know because we've attended many of them, everyone on this panel. It's very well laid out, and everybody knows where they stand. I think it's important to point out as well that, yes, there's a 10-year plan, but our, our Air Resources Board occasionally shifts gears. We saw a proposed regulation that would have been in place to put microscopic metal flakes in your windows of your car to save air conditioning. And then that got turned back. So there's as much regulatory uncertainty as there is market uncertainty. And what ARB is doing is imposing additional regulatory uncertainty that is counteracting any certainty on the market side that the manufacturers or other yeah, sectors but, of the economy might benefit from. If that's what you truly from. believe, you should be arguing to repeal it, not suspend it and pretending that, that you're, not, you're not repealing and it. And you wouldn't have this long list of investors you know, who want investors. a predictable environment that are oppo- that's opposing Prop 23. Well, they I, thought I, that I, it created, that, that uh, AB 32 created instability. I mean, clean tech is growing nationally without AB 32. It is growing, as I said earlier, no. it is, it is, the, the rate of job growth is faster in the other states, 28 other states and in California. So the, whether, whether, whether or not we create stability or AB 32 or whether it's suspended or not. We 23% market share in 2004 to 60% market share this year. Of what? Of, of clean tech investment. That's right. By it, 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 uh, there's no argument. But we're not, we're, there's, there's not a lot of beef coming with that. I mean, right now we're getting the innovation here, which well, I think is great to have the innovation here, but we're not getting the resulting jobs out well, of it. Well, because it's still early years. The, the venture community just started investing in this sector really four five years ago, years ago four wait, or five now, years now, wait ago. Wait a minute, Nancy. You remember the days when I was at the California Energy Commission and you just started yeah. in the venture capital arena. This has been going on for 30 years in California. But it's no, not something brand new. No, but not from the venture perspective. We were out there alone, but there was no critical mass until four or five years ago. The, the white shoe VCs at, at Kleiner Perkins, et cetera, this is a new game for them, right, in the last few years. The particular focus is, but they've always been involved in pushing technology, and, and that's great. Yeah, just not energy Just technology. not energy. They didn't that's think they could new. make yeah. enough in this sector until recently, and part of that yeah. is because they see a price on carbon, and they see the way well, things are they're betting a, a on lo- that, right? A lot of it is going into the so-called smart grid where the, the wires are smarter and more well-behaved. Well, that concept no. started back in 1990. Yes. I was there. I know it started in 1990. That's 20 years ago. It, it started let's, before let's, then. Let's uh, get a next audience question. We're coming to the coast Hi, to our end I'm here. James George with EnviroBeat. Um, I'd like to ask if we can broaden this debate beyond jobs in California. What are the potential economic impacts for people in the future if global warming accelerates? If California doesn't do anything and we don't have a federal cap-and-trade law, what has the United States got well, we go to Cancun? Well, well, that's, that's an excellent question. Yeah. So what about the cost of you know, tens of millions of people in Bangladesh that may have to migrate if, if sea levels rise? Or if species go extinct, how do we evaluate? You're absolutely correct. And, and what we need to do is figure out what those damages are, and they, they potentially would be catastrophic. Then we need to figure out whether California's go-it-alone approach makes any difference. What if you call and it using the IPCC... Hold on, let, let's, let's end, Tom. 
using the IPC model, we can predict, under a worst-case scenario, less than five one-hundredths of a degree change in the year 2050. So that's not going to change anything in, the, in terms of the Bangladeshis. That's not going to change anything unless other people follow our parade. And right now, they're not. We need to stop and let them catch up. The, the IPCC if, has a range of temperature rights. Well, you're saying if, if California, and by 2050, if California only went doing anything. The theory is pretty straightforward. California, and most of the legislation has believe that if we innovate here and we prove that it's an economic value add, it will take care of itself. Other people will join in. Other states have already joined in. Since California got involved, you had a bill in, in New Jersey, you had one in Florida, you have it all up. There's 50 states with various policies moving underway. I can't justify the fact that the U.S. Senate is no longer a democracy. I mean, that's a problem. I don't know right. what to do about it. But that doesn't mean California gives up on addressing it. We have the opportunity, and we've, we're creating alliances with China. We're starting to create them with India. So we'll just move with every province that wants to move forward, and eventually you guys will elect somebody better in Congress, and we'll fix them well, too. Well, maybe you can address the fact that most of the states in the Western Climate Initiative have, have decided on a Prop 23-like approach, which is to stop and wait until the economy approves. No, that's not what's happened at all. That's not what's happened in Colorado that's moved aggressively forward on, on advanced RPSs. They're now at 30%. Governor Ritter was just here on Thursday talking about that. What you've seen happen is there's a lot of politicians that are afraid of various things, and they're sort of hanging out this election. Yeah, they're, and they're have, they're have the other states in the Western Climate Initiative called a halt to their programs in the cap-and-trade regional program or not? They, they, well, they never started it, so I can't say that they've halted Well, they, they planned on it. I mean, that was part of the whole Western Climate Initiative. Are they, are they we, waiting we never to knew see what California does? No. We never knew which states They're, were they're waiting until their economy improves. I've been in those other states. I've talked to the legislators. They are waiting for their economies to improve. Well, well, what's I've the cost of business as else. usual? We've got to come to the end here, but I want to get to the cost of business as usual. As usual, under AB 32 or not AB 32? Uh, the cost of, of, there's no AB 32, and climate change continues to go ahead. Are we going to end up paying more later as a consequence? Uh, well, or buying, more, buy, buying technology from China or other places because we didn't develop it here? Well, well I think I, that, goes to, that goes to the gentleman's question. My question you know, goes you, beyond the cost of buying technology. It goes to damage to the environment. And yes. future, future generations. And, and nobody anywhere, to my knowledge, has calculated the actual damages. Well, maybe it's time we start. I, well, I, 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 would, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. And I don't think anybody would agree that California going it alone can have an impact on... We're on, not on, going it alone. China's taking huge steps. The okay, United States is falling up. behind. And, there's, there, and I think we have different views about what the Western yeah. Climate Initiative is actually, actually doing and how much they're still going forward. Let's wrap up. Uh, we went from this way. Let's go this way in terms of one-minute closing statement. Bob, you go first. All right, so a couple of points. Our current laws are working because I, it's creating jobs and it's creating competition in the energy sector. It's had a positive impact. It's had no negative economic impacts to date. Everyone benefits from more competition and from more of the energy dollars being recycled here in California. What this proposition is really about is 93% of the money comes from out of state, most of it from three oil companies that want to avoid competition. Their competitors, Shell, BP, Exxon, Chevron, are not at this table. They're on the no side because they see they're ready to compete. This is all about Texas wanting to get a break. I say beat them twice. 
<laughs> Nancy Floyd. Yeah. Well, you know, as a state, we really have unique attributes um, that can help us sustain our leadership position in uh, clean energy technology. I mean, we've got incredible entrepreneurial talent. We've got, uh, you know, a well-developed venture and finance ecosystem. We've got world-class universities and research. And we've got abundant natural resources. And, but let's not put our head in the sand. There's lots of competition out there. There are lots of states that want these jobs, that want this investment capital, and there are lots of countries that want this as well. AB 32 would be just the destabilizing event that would give those states and countries the ability to chip away and take the lead from, from California. Um, you know, California businesses get uh, AB 32. Republicans and Democrats get this. You know, let's be in charge of our own energy and economic uh, destiny. Tom Tanton. I agree that competition is a good thing. I want competition. Last time California tried competition, it resulted in a disaster. The implementation is as critical as the goal. And right now, the way in which we're implementing AB 32 is counterproductive to the goal. It is causing an increase in emissions. I don't care where the money comes from to support Proposition 23. Uh, many of the supporters are our own friends and neighbors. Many of the supporters are the Board of Supervisors in the school districts that see an improvement in their budgets of anywhere from 2 to 7%. Many of the local areas have ballot propositions tomorrow for tax increases to support the schools or the fire departments or whatever. Those are not needed if Proposition 23 passes. Schools can reap millions of dollars by reduced energy cost and improvement in the economy, resulting in increased sales and property taxes. Jack Stewart. And the question is, is does our economy grow, or do we hobble it by, by, by putting a vast amount of new regulations on our economy? And that's, that's the question. Do we want to go forward and have a growing economy and hold off on AB 32, the few things that aren't already covered by other statutory uh, requirements and mandates, or do we, do, we, do, we, do we hobble the California economy and make it more difficult to employ 2.3 million Californians who are now out of work? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a huge issue for California. It's a, it's, a, it's a national issue. It's a global issue. And California cannot solve it alone. It's important. And I, I agree. I think the innovation has to be here. And I think innovation will continue to be here. I mean, California has world-class institutions and, and, and higher education that, that have, have created the products that the world has used since, uh, since World War II. The question is now is, you know, can we, will we continue that if we have very high cost here? It, it, it is that, and what value is it to California if we get $6 billion or $9 billion in, 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 in venture capital funds if we're not really creating a large number of jobs to serve the large population of California? We need to end it there. I'm Greg Dalton. Uh, we've been discussing Proposition 23 at Climate One at the Commonwealth Club. I'd like to thank our distinguished panelists and thank you all for coming, especially on this night. Thank you very much.